So if you hear that text that I just read, and it talks about this idea of God's love and loving one another. So that was kind of in my mind all week, just coming back to that and thinking about it. And so as I was uh, different days throughout the week working on this, I was sitting at my computer uh, in my my little hut in the back (laughs) outside. And uh, one of the things I did at one point as I was thinking through this idea is I did a quick search in my iTunes library for all the songs that have love in the title. And so full disclosure with Apple Music now, it's a it's a subscription and you can add whatever you want. So I have twenty five thousand songs in my library at the moment. And so there's a lot of songs in there. But I I typed in love and I wanted to see what came up. And all of a sudden there was just this list. Always love. All the love of the world. All my love. Can't help falling in love. Whole lot of love. You have to hide your love away. Love me do. All you need is love. Love boat captain. Love is bigger than anything in its way. Love comes save me. Love hurts. Love invades. Love is all we have left. Love is blindness. Love is everywhere. Love letter. Love me like a holy war. Uh, Love me two times. Love never asks you to lie. Love of my life. Love rescue me. Love song. Love street. You get the idea. That's about an eighth of the songs in my library that have love in the title. And they're everywhere. You just start reading this list and it goes and goes and goes. And I was scrolling through and looking at all those. And that's just scratching the surface. But you get the idea just in those songs that I've added through the years that's in mine. There are so many there and we could go and look and there's so many more than just that. But we're very enamored with the idea of love. We're very enamored with the idea of singing about it. Uh, You could say the same thing if we went and looked at films or, or poetry or artwork or all these things. And you would see this repeating over and over that we're really enamored with this idea so much that we love to sing about it. And as I was looking through those song titles and those different things and what it is that we sing and what it is that we say. And if I just looked at the songs that were in my own library and summarize what it says about love, we could say we want it. We believe in it. It's powerful. It's good. We believe it can save us, that it conquers, that it's all we need, that nothing is bigger than it. It will come through. And that's just the first section, right? And all those things are there. Or or conversely, we could go and we could look at all the songs that talk about lamenting, losing love or not having it or looking for it or why I'm miserable because I don't have it and so on and so forth. And so what we see just in the songs we sing and the the movies and the the stories we tell, that we value this idea of love greatly. I don't think you would uh, find a lot of people would say, no, it's not worth anything. And so our world overwhelmingly values this, incredibly values this idea of love. We love to sing praise to the idea of love. And so what I want us to consider this morning is what is it? And where does it come from? And why is it so important? And why do we write songs about it? And why are all these things? And John's going to tell us. Remember, this is the Apostle John late in his life. Eyewitness to Jesus, one of his disciples writing to encourage the church. And he's going to give us some profound things that he's going to say about love. And I have to confess, as as we, we think on this, the outline here is real simple. What is love and how do we grow in it? And uh, regularly in preaching and teaching, you stand up and you feel very inadequate. Uh, I was overwhelmed with what God was showing me this week to the point of I'm not sure that I can explain it. I'm pretty sure I can't. (laughs) 
And so as we start to talk about love and God is love and what this means, it's well beyond anything I can do. I'm, I'm quite certain. And so we'd ask that the Spirit is our teacher, that He is leading and He is guiding, because I'm going to tell you, it's beyond me. Uh, Michael Horton wrote a book on systematic theology, and he says at the beginning, be careful as you begin to step into who God is and what He's like and wrestling with those ideas because you will go insane. If you're not careful, it's going to push past your understanding to a point that you can't understand it. And I confess there's part of this that that's where I am. It's where I'm thinking about God as love and what this means and what it looks like. It's beyond what I can understand. And so, full disclosure, this may not make any sense. (laughs) Hopefully it does. But it is one of those ones that was pushing me a little. And so there, there you have it at the beginning. But let's consider this. What is love and then how do we grow in it? And so look at verse 7 and 8 there. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And that's a pretty huge and profound statement that John starts with. That all love comes from God. And then he says, and God is love. And I want to think about that for just a moment together because there's such profound implications to what he says when he says that. That love comes from God and God is love. And I want you to think about those together. That essential to the very character and nature of who God is, is love. It comes from Him. It begins with Him. It is uh, innately part of who He is. In order for us to even begin to scratch the surface on understanding that, we have to go to the idea of the way the Bible presents to us, the way God Uh, reveals to us what he's like and who he is and at the center of that conception is this idea as god as trinity father son and holy spirit three persons all god all equal uh, in power and in substance and in glory that is eternally existed that is not created and that right there pushes us past what we can fully comprehend whenever we begin to talk about the trinity Try to keep it real tight to a historic confession of what it says because it's so easy to begin to talk in ways that's unhelpful. But that God is, is this perfect, loving community in and of himself that has eternally existed before he created anything. And so what that means when we start to contemplate and think on that is that in and of God himself, love has always existed Between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is this perfect love in every way. And God doesn't create, uh, or when He creates, He doesn't create to make love possible or actual or now happening or any of those things. He already has it in and of Himself. And I think that alone starts to kind of push us in our understanding in the way we often think of things. But God in and of himself uh, is not dependent on us for love to exist. He already has it. He is love in his nature. But then when he chooses to create, he creates us with a capacity to share in this love that comes from him. And we can share in it and we can experience it and then he makes us Uh, in his image that we can share or experience it with one another. But 
ultimately it begins with God. And so look at what it says in, in verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we have loved, but that God has loved us. And it begins with God and he he shares it with us. And it's not something that he needs from us. But in his own free, sovereign act of creation, he chooses to allow us to to come into this, to experience this love that exists in and of himself. And I'll tell you, I, I, I sat at my desk and I read that and I thought about it and and pondered that. And I still I'm not, I can't get it. Not fully. It was overwhelming. I think of Psalm 139 when it says such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. And I sat there and thought, how does that work? That God has always existed. And this love has always been there, a part of him and who he is. And I'll tell you, as I thought about it in the, the feeble way my mind can try to get my head around it, it was really stabilizing It was really comforting that love has always existed in and of himself, that it doesn't begin with us, doesn't leave us, it doesn't doesn't uh, depend on me, that it's his love to us. That's a really incredible idea that God is love and he starts in that way. But then we start to think about what he's doing in choosing to allow us to be created and then to share it with us. That God is love and from him comes this love and he, he chooses to allow us to be part of that. And he makes us in his image. And part of what that means uh, to be made in the image of God is that we have the capacity to have relationships, to experience love, to uh, have that come into our life, to share that with others. But as I'm thinking about all of that picture that's there, that God is this perfect love that chooses to share it with us. Uh, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis. When C.S. Lewis talks about the Trinity, uh, he'll talk about God as, as being this dance. Uh, and I don't know, it's been a while since I've read the way he said it, but I've thought about this a lot after reading the way he talks about God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit kind of being in this perfect, loving relationship and community from all eternity past. And then it's like this dance. And I, I think of it this way. That the Father loves the Son. And so if the Father loves the Son and he's kind of orbiting around the Son and he's glorifying the Son and he's saying, look at my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Son glorifies the Father and so the Son is kind of orbiting around the Father. And then the Spirit does the same and the Spirit points us to who Jesus is and who the Father is. And he takes what's the Father's and he shows it to us and you start to get this idea of all three parts of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in this perfect relationship, kind of orbiting around each other. And all of a sudden you have what Lewis describes as this dance. What perfect love and community unified together looks like. And then God decides in his free, sovereign choice and will to create us to experience that. He creates us in his image and then kind of invites us in to the dance, to be part of this perfect, beautiful, loving community that is in and of himself. And he does it to share that joy with us. 
And it's an incredible thought to begin to try to get your head around that picture of what he's done and the way he's sharing that love with us. And the truth is we're made for that love. We're made for that communion. We're made for that unity with him. And that's what being made in his image comes with that. And so we have this deep, innately in us desire to be loved. To experience this. We were made for this. And so we wrestle with that and we struggle with that. And the reason we wrestle with it and we struggle with it is because part of being made, God creates us to experience this love, but He also creates us to have real choices with real consequences. He gives us the ability to accept His love. He gives us the ability to refuse it. He gives us the same with relationally with one another. We can choose to love one another or we can choose to not do so. And as God creates us out of His free, sovereign will to share this love with us, so He creates us in our, His image to have real choices with real consequences, to choose whether to love. And if you read through the Bible and you know the story and the way it unfolds is that we as humans decide that we can find love elsewhere and we can make that decision on our own and we take that free choice, that free uh, freedom to make real choices with real consequences that God gives us and we say, I can do this on my own. And instead of seeking love from the source of all love and where it came from, we go, I can find that in other places. And when we do, that idea of sin has entered in, sin is ignoring God and the world he created rebelling against God. And so instead of seeking it from God, we seek it from other things. And we we go after it in different ways. And when we do, it goes horribly wrong. Instead of getting love from the source, we seek to get it in secondary ways. Now, God has made us to be relational with people and things and different stuff in our life. and, And it's not wrong to get love or give love with individuals. But when we replace the eternal desire for love in our heart that only God can give us as the source, and we look at from the created beings to give us that, it leaves us wanting. It can't do it. If I'm trying to uh, fill an eternal need in my life with something that is a created being that only God can fill, it will cause problems. And so we struggle with this idea. We seek the eternal love in these other ways. And so when we do, we go on searching. And not only that, do we go on searching, but we begin to distort what love is. Because we've moved it from seeking it from God, we're now seeking it in these other ways, and we begin to distort what it actually is that we're looking for. And it causes all sorts of issues. And as we struggle, we seek to find the eternal uh, and romantic love. Relationships. If I just find my soulmate then everything will come together. It'll fill this void and everything will be good. But you weren't created for that love to fulfill you and complete you. You were created to be part of that dance that is so perfect of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that He would be the thing that completes you. That you would love God first and then love people out of it. But we don't do that. And so romantic love, we begin to seek it. Or we seek it uh, in sex. Or we seek it maybe today in social media. I'm going to post and say things and tell people and put myself out there so that they will come back with me that I love you. 
I like what you're doing and that's good. And so we look to fill it in that way. And so we start to seek it in all these different ways. And all these different ideas of love in our culture, we all feel it. Because whether someone is acknowledging God and who he is, or they're not, they still feel it. So I think you see this universal thing where we sing about love. And love is all we need and all these things that we say. Because we feel that in us. Because we're made in his image and we're made to be in a relationship with him. And so we seek after it in all these ways. And you get all these songs. And if you actually start to look at all the songs, there's all sorts of distortions about what love is and what we're seeking after. And I see lots of them. I was, I was reading through. Uh, I, was, I was searching of like, what's the main idea of love songs and thinking about it. And so much of it has to do with feeling. It's a feeling we're trying to capture. I can't fight this feeling anymore. Right? By the way, that is not in my library. And if you really love that song, good for you, but it's not in mine. <laughs> but like all those kind of songs, right? The feeling, I need it. Um, I was reading through different ones. You get the sense of a change and nothing feels the same. Yeah, all your dreams are strange. Love comes walking in. I just quoted a Van Halen song in a sermon. Not poets. <laughs> You start reading the words of these songs and you're like, is that really what it says? An alien pulls a string and then you feel it, right? But we see that in all those things over and over, right? It's this feeling, this thing. And they're talking about romantic love. And if I can find the right person, they'll walk in. Everything will change and I'll feel a certain way. And the truth is that there's some truth in that, but it's not in a person, in the way we think of it, it's in our relationship with God. And so we've distorted it in all these ways, in all these different things. We've worshipped the creator, creation rather than the creator, and it's a struggle. And it's not just uh, romantic love. It's our job. It's, it's people saying, good job. It's getting recognition, all these different ways that we seek it and we seek after it. And the more we chase after it and the more we go after it, the harder it is. Because our understanding of what love is continues to get distorted by our sinfulness. It's like going down the rabbit hole and it gets worse and worse and gets kind of darker and darker. And so we need a healthy understanding of what it means to love and what God is doing in that. And so in order to get that and get back to that, we have to go back to the very origin that it comes from God, that it starts with God's love for us. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit help us define what love is. They, God is love. In verse 7 and 8, God is love and uh, love comes from God. He says that very clearly. So we should go back to what that is and what he reveals to us about what that is to understand it. And so when we start to get our head around that idea that God chooses in a sovereign, free choice to create us. And he gives us that freedom to accept it and then to love others. And so love has this choice that's part of it and part of what it means to be made in his image. But then we get to choose to love others and seek their best always. See, God doesn't love 
He doesn't share his love with us. He wasn't sitting in heaven going, man, I'm really bored. And I'm really unfulfilled. And I wish I knew what love was. So I'll create these creatures so that I can experience love. No, he already had it completely and totally. And so in some very real way. God has, he says, not that we have loved God, but God has loved us. That it comes from God and it begins that way. And so when we see that, it changes and should shape the way we actually see and experience and go after what it means to love others. And I think such a big part of that is seeking others best always in all things. That God has done that in his creation. He who is love, who love comes from, gives love in this way, not from lack of himself but because he's giving it. Seeking our best always. And so when we start to love in the way God loves, it's going to look like that. But that's very different than what our world or what our culture says. We want to make it all about the feeling aspect, the connection. But I want you to think about that. When we do that, I'm looking for love and then when I get it in these ways, I'll have this feeling. What we're really doing, what we're really seeking when we do that, the truth is that we're loving ourselves and we're seeking to use other people to fill that up. But that's not the way God's love is. He's not using others to fill himself up. He's giving it to us. And so when we start to think about what that looks like, loving others and getting outside of ourselves and actually wanting others best always. Look at what he says in verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And I want you to think about this as we start to get outside of ourselves and we begin to love in the way that God has loved us. And he's shown us what it looks like instead of being all about ourselves. It's truly beginning to love people wanting their best always, not for what they can give you, but because you want to give to them and you want them to see what God is like. And that's very different than the way we often think of it. We often get ourselves put right in the middle, which is the heart of our sinful nature. It's all about me. And this removes us and makes it all about God and about loving other people. But when you do that and you start to step into that, he says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And it continues to kind of grow and there's, there's something profound and wonderful that happens. And so here I was, I was writing this sermon and, and thinking about this. And I was at this very point in my sermon wrestling with this idea of, of caring and loving for others and wanting their best. And I had to leave to go meet someone for lunch. And I got in my car and I turned my car on and I started. And a podcast came on that I've been listening to. It's right in the middle. There's two guys. Neither one of them are believers. It's not a Christian podcast. That's a, two comedians, one of them who's now nine months sober. He's talking about how he's been sober for the first time in his life since he was 12 years old. And he's talking about going into Narcotics Anonymous and what it was like and his experience in it. And he said, now I'm in the place where I'm getting to help other people. He says, it's the craziest thing. You go to these meetings and you help people and you tell them and you just show up to help them and they can call you at any time and you're just trying to encourage them and you don't get anything out of it. 
And as he said that, the next thing he said, but he said, but that's not true. I get a whole lot out of it. It's actually really great when I'm there just to help other people. And he turned to the guy who's interviewing him and he says, you know this, you're a generous person. And he goes, well, uh, yeah, I guess he kind of stammers around. He goes, no, 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 you're a really generous person. And he says, uh, yeah, but I like to say I'm the most selfish, generous person I know. And he said, why is that? He said, well, I like to help people because it just makes me feel so much better. And what those two guys were saying, neither of them believers, neither of them confessing Jesus as Lord, not understanding, but they're scratching the surface of this idea that when you actually love and you serve others and you care about people, that that's what... fullness of it they're not understanding the fullness of truly loving others that points them to who god is but they're scratching the surface and so we start to think about what love is and what it looks like it's making this choice to love others truly wanting their best pointing them to who god is and it's not it's not a feeling it's a choice to want their best always in all things And God has chosen to love us. Not because He had to, because He chose to. I say this frequently, and I tell you, it pushes our limits of understanding. God loves you because He loves you. Period. And we go, wait a second. (laughs) But that's not the way love works in our mind. We go, no, 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 you love me because I love you, and it's this, this relationship where we both get... That's not what it looks like. So truly love others in the way God is. You're seeking their best always and you're making a choice to do so. So how do we grow in that? How do we get rescued from the ways we normally think of it in our culture? Right? Our movies, our music, our art, all of it. Poems are telling us something different. And so how do we get out of that? And so look at what he says here. Go back to verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved, but that God has loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you hear what John's saying? He's saying, you see the love of God and the way it is. And it's been made manifest to us by who Jesus is and what he's done. So it's been made manifest that it's now known and we can see it and we can experience because the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he's come to do. And he ties it back. Don't miss this there. In verse 10, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says, if God so loved us like this, we also ought to love one another. So what does that mean like this? That he's been made manifest to us and we've seen what God's like and he ties this whole argument back to the idea of propitiation. God has come in the flesh. Jesus comes and he's here to save us, to do what we cannot do for ourselves, to deal with our sin. And so when you start to think about what that looks like, What do I bring to the equation? I bring my sin. And God does the rest. And He comes and He does what I can't do 
for me if we go back to first John chapter one and verse five. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Think about what he's saying in our sin. We're separated from God. And he uses that analogy all through the book, darkness and light. If we're in the dark, we can't be in the light, right? We know the lights are on because we can see. Dark and light aren't going to be in the same place. And he says, so if we're in the dark and we say that we are good with God and we're in this, we're liars. But then listen to the way he goes through it. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And this comes to the very heart of propitiation. Jesus comes and takes our sin upon himself. And in doing so, he removes the thing that is keeping us from entering back into the dance that God created us for. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or we can go to 2 Corinthians 5 and it says that he, the Father, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become our sin so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. And we could go to Romans 5 and say, so he pours out his love on us through the Holy Spirit that we can be brought back in. And he says, when you see this, you see what love looks like. And every part of that, every part of that equation is God's love wanting our best, pursuing us by what he does. And then he says, so you ought to love others the same way. That's not you ought to use other people to give you a certain feeling. You make a choice to want their best always because that is who God is and that's what he's done for you. That's something radically different. Now, the wonderful thing of God's grace and the way he loves us, there's that clear connection to the feeling aspect as you begin to follow him. As you begin to put others first, as you begin to seek their best always, there is a feeling that comes with it. You're being perfected in his love as he is in you and you're abiding in him and you're closer to him and you're seeing it and you're starting to feel and uh, experience the love of God in all things as you seek to love others in the way that God has loved us in Jesus. You start to experience the profound reality of this love that has always existed. The glory of that coming. Verse 13, he says, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We now have the fullness of God, the Holy Spirit in us, bringing us back into the fullness of that love because Jesus has cleansed us from all sin and unrighteousness and given us his righteousness that we can be part of that. And we have seen and testify the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in His love abides in God and God abides in Him. And you're brought back in to this dance. And you're part of this. And you're now free to love 
others in the same way that Jesus has loved you. This ultimate expression of love. And so you follow his reasoning. As you see that and it's made manifest to you and you've professed it, it's becoming more real in your life and you're starting to walk that out. You get to the end of the chapter where he says we love because he first loved us. You go, yeah, I know that. That's the gospel. That's who Jesus is and that's what he's done. And then verse 20, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have for him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, here's the thing. Who's your brother? How does Jesus define that? Who's my family? Who's my neighbor? Who's my brother? It's everyone. It's not the people that you feel like loving. It's not the people that give you warm, fuzzy feelings when you're around them and that's it. It's all people. So I'm completely honest in that. I was the week I was so overwhelmed by this idea of God's eternal love always existing and resting in that. And by the end of the week, this thing that it's loving every single person, wanting their best always. And I was like, oh, no, this is really hard. It's really hard. But as we do that, as we step into that reality of I'm going to seek to love all people always wanting their best. Now, that includes speaking the truth. Sometimes it's correcting. Sometimes it's it's saying hard things to each other. It's all those things. Being in the middle of the truth is part of loving. But as we do that and as we experience it and as we continue to step out in faith that I'm going to love people, what it does is it alerts us more and more to God's love for us in Jesus. The gospel becomes more real. That yet while we were sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. And that he lays down his life for us. And so when you lay down your life for others and you continue to pursue it, it alerts you more fully to the grace of God and what he's done for you. Because this is how love has been made manifest to us. And so we'll end here today. God loves you because he loves you. And when you are in Jesus and you are secure in this love, it frees us to love others, wanting their best always because we already have the fullness of love in Jesus. And we're freed to now do that. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you for your love that stretches the limits of our understanding. Confess the, the weakness, uh, the feebleness of trying to even explain it or talk about it. But we trust that you are our teacher. That the Holy Spirit takes the truth of your word and he applies it to our hearts and our minds. And we thank you that you continue to show us. And so I pray for each one here that you would continue to unfold for us the incredible magnitude of your love. Pray that you would, as you do that, use us as ways to glorify you, to point to your love as we love others. We thank you and we pray all of it in Jesus name. Amen.